here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We have to release the love throughout the entire country and give opportunities. A lot of times, it's just the overall lack of reparations that we, at any given point, we say, oh, this is racist, this is racist, this is racist, this is racist. So we don't have the reparations, but we have the 13th Amendment. We got to open up the whole conversation. When you've already got the dragon energy in you and you strap on your MAGA hat and you become Superman, that's what happens. It's reparations. It's race relations. It's United Nations. Can I get a hell yeah? You see how that works? It just, it happens that way. So you just roll with it. You just go with it. You got Kanye. And you got President Trump. (laughs) What have we learned this week? A week ago, we're talking about Kavanaugh. And the the vote that was about to happen. And here we are, and it's Kanye. And somewhere throughout the past day, I was thinking, we knew that there were going to be days like this. In fact, I was thinking about 2.30 in the morning, Eastern Time. The morning, technically, after the presidential election. It was all starting to sink in. Hadn't quite made it to sleep for about the... Hour and a half of sleep I got that night before I rolled back out of bed and did morning show. I looked at my wife and I said, you realize Donald Trump's going to be the president of the United States. Now, we knew at that particular moment that there were going to be days like this, right? And you just roll with it. And then somewhere along the way, a little brilliance happens. Hey, it is your South Florida friend. It is Brian Mudd. I uh, always, always privileged to be here with you. Do a morning show. In West Palm Beach, WJNO, a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. And uh, always, always a privilege to be here with you. Now, I've broken out a, a couple concepts on you in recent weeks. Uh, one is the, the premise. The premise is that if you establish anything on a false premise, you build anything on top of a false premise, it's all going to fail. So I don't embrace a false premise. I also talk about there being two sides to stories, one side of facts. And that all kind of goes hand in hand. I got eight of these things. Over the course of time, I'm liable to break them all out on you. Here's my third one. It's called the sliding scale of morality. What we've got ourselves in is a massive, massive sliding scale of morality right now. By the way, morality is actually winning. I know, it's kind of crazy, right? Not much, not by much, but morality is actually winning. Now, some of what we were talking about a week ago had to do with Brett Kavanaugh and how the average American actually viewed Kavanaugh coming out of those hearings. Quick little recap on that. Prior to the Ford and Kavanaugh hearing, 3% more Americans, according to Gallup, and they have been polling on Kavanaugh every single day for the day after the Trump nomination of him. But 3% more Americans than not thought he shouldn't be confirmed. And then we come full circle. And after everything, at the time of the vote, we had 1% more Americans that thought that Brett Kavanaugh should be confirmed than not. In other words, 
we slid back to believe in him. And ultimately, that close vote we had last weekend was endemic of us. The average American believed Brett Kavanaugh, believed that he should be confirmed, and the United States Senate actually went ahead and did what we wanted. It's the sliding scale of morality. And all told, we only had our public opinion changed by 7% that entire process. That was it, 7%. In other words, most people are pretty stuck in their basic morality. But a lot of times people will go, you know, how is it that this friend I've had over here turned around and stabbed me in the back? Well, that's all part of the sliding scale of morality. And I'll tell you how it's playing out. You've seen it in your own life, no doubt. Maybe with your friends, certainly with anybody you discuss politics with and you might disagree with, and just the overall frustrations you might have about politics in this country, let alone the moral outrage, the moral outrage by the media on back of Kanye visiting President Trump. Here's how the sliding scale morality works. Unless you're potentially the spawn of Satan, you're probably not evil. So we'll hold out the possibility, I don't know, Chuck Schumer, so maybe, you know, as long as you're not the the spawn or Satan or, or maybe Chuck Schumer, you're not pure evil, and none of us are perfect. So on a scale of one to ten, Say that one is evil, ten is perfection. We're all twos to nines. And if we're at our best, we're really having a good day, and we're our best versions of ourselves. we're going to be at the upper end of whatever our morality is. Let's say you have a really honest and decent person. Really honest and decent person might be an eight. Maybe on their worst day, they're a five. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm not going to hurt you. Even when I'm at my worst, I'm not going to hurt you because I'm a decent person more than not. But let's say that you start out, and on that sliding scale of morality, you're a six. And so you're a decent person throughout much of your, your life. But when adversity strikes, when something goes south, what happens? You slide back three notches, suddenly we're three. Oh, shoot, you're going to hurt somebody. If it means taking care of yourself, if it means putting your interests first, you will take others down. That's how the sliding scale of morality works. That's how people will stab others in the back when you thought they were your friends. All right? Kind of get the idea here? So let's talk about the sliding scale of morality a little bit. So many people, so many people been reaching out, been frustrated. How is it still that you have people that defend Christine Ford? How is it that you still have people that will say that Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist when he wasn't even accused of rape, by the way? Well, I mean, by anybody other than Avenatti, I guess. The the answer comes down to the sliding scale of morality. If you don't have a real moral compass, you don't start out in a high place of morality to begin with. Shoot. You can make it up as you go. Every day, you view things through the prism that you create. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to talk about UN's climate science and what frauds they are, along with Medicare and the fraud that is Medicare for all. It's financial fraud. The conversation, the reality, it's fraud. Bunch of people lying to you. 
But it's all part of our morality today to where I can lie to you if it suits me. And when politicians do it and it works, you're going to get more of it. And people will embrace it to the extent that it makes them feel good or to the extent that it justifies their existence. And I'll give you an example. I've always had this rule that if somebody reaches out to me and they don't use profanity, I'll get around and and respond to them. This was a listener talking about Christine Ford. And I mentioned that, hey, she committed perjury. And she, I believe, should ultimately be tried for it. Now, I had somebody saying, well, her witnesses, the ones that ended up refuting her claims, maybe maybe they were the ones who weren't being honest. And this listener said, there may be many reasons why they refuted the claims, one of which be could be they didn't remember. Another might be that they didn't want the death threats to their families. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So you can commit felonies whenever you feel like as long as your reasons are good enough. It's the sliding scale of morality. And when we're talking about the sliding scale of morality and we're talking about Kanye West and the moral outrage by the media, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 20 years ago today, what were we talking about? And what did you think of when you heard Oval Office? It certainly wasn't about the president of the United States. It had something to do with what was on that blue dress. And so for the very media... That sucked up to William Jefferson Clinton to have moral outrage over profanity being utilized by Kanye West in the Oval Office. That is one heck of a sliding scale of morality. And that is the world we live in today. And so more than ever before, it's important to know where your moral compass happens to be. Are you five, a six, a seven, an eight? Where are you where... When you're at your best, where are you when you're at your worst? When you are inviting people into your life, who are they? Who are they? Are they sixes on a good day and threes on a bad day? You know, last week I was talking a bit about beating your head against the wall. A lot of folks want to know, how do you become more persuasive? How can you convince people of things politically? And I mentioned the unfortunate reality, which is you have to find people who are open to, to information in the first place. And the problem is you don't have a lot of open-minded people out there. As I pointed out with the Kavanaugh deal, there were only 7% of folks top to bottom that ever had their opinion changed about him. 7% through everything. That's it. So you got to find people that are open-minded and open to information. As I pointed out, a lot of them happen to be younger. But the same is true when we're talking about who we're engaging in in our lives. If you don't want to be frustrated, if you don't want to be stabbed in the back, if you want to find people that can make you feel better about yourself and add something positive to your life, you got to figure out where their morality is. Because anymore, amorality is on display each and every day. And it's being perpetuated by a political party each and every day including by a former attorney general who happens to now be saying, well, go ahead and kick the opposition. That's the world we now live in. So, yay for Kanye. And wow, look at how far we've come in just 13 years. 
Remember the last time we were talking about Kanye West and the president? Well, that was a little bit of a different story. And over the past 13 years, a few things have changed, including who's working right now and a few things about this economy. And that's where we're going to pick up next right here. It is Brian Mudd filling in for the great one. Mud Lovin. people i'm beginning to think he he had a point beginning to think kanye had a point see how far we've come let's think about this for a moment george bush doesn't like black people if we take a look at prosperity and the unemployment rate barack obama hated black people and we take a look at donald trump donald trump loves black people i mean (laughs) even kanye he loves that man he loves him You know who else Donald Trump loves? Donald Trump loves women. You know, George Bush, I think he liked women. We take a look at unemployment rates. Take a look at the economy. I think he liked women. Barack Obama, well, uh, sure. I I, I think, I, I don't think Barack Obama liked women. But Donald Trump, Donald Trump loves women. I'm still talking about the economy and unemployment rates. Hey, it's Brian Mudd uh, in for Mark Levin. Let's talk about some things real quick. Uh, this is kind of important in the context of these conversations. While the media wants to make it all about, oh my gosh, the profanity of Kanye West. What has Kanye pointed out? He's pointed out that, uh, hey, you know, from an economic standpoint, what's most important? It's important that people are lifted up, that they have opportunity. Oh, okay. So where have we had the most opportunity for black adults? Well, shoot, that's Donald Trump. Here are all of the demographics that are experiencing record low unemployment rates this year. Yes, black adults, women, Hispanics, born-born adults, And even Native Americans. In fact, if we were going to find a group that Donald Trump doesn't like, that Donald Trump doesn't love, apparently Donald Trump doesn't like white people. George Bush doesn't like black people, but Donald Trump, he doesn't like white people. This is about the only place we'll have record low unemployment rates right now. Huh, how'd that happen? Now, Being that you are probably more astute than the average person out there, you know how the game has always been played. Democrat politics are what? They're identity politics. They're meant to divide. They're meant to cause friction, division. They're meant also, importantly, to do what? Keep people down. What have we seen every time people get an opportunity? Well, that is an opportunity to open their mind. Remember... I was talking about just a few minutes ago. Sliding scale of morality, but also finding people who are open-minded. Now, historically, we've seen well over 90% of black adults vote for Democrats. Now, when with any group of people, we ever agree 90% of the time, 
But why is it that for decades now, we'd had black adults that were breaking 90% plus of the time for a Democrat? No open-mindedness, no division of thought, buying into the identity politics. But nothing ever changed. And we see that we are still the country where a man from the poorest neighborhood in the country can go on to become the most renowned neurosurgeon in the world. And by the way, be part of the Trump administration and a Republican. And now we see that one of the top entertainers in the world, self-made near billionaire, can also, like Donald Trump, and be a Republican. And that is the problem. Because that is where the Democrats get exposed. As soon as there's an opportunity for diversity of thought. And that comes through opportunity. And the one thing, if we take a look at George W. Bush, at that administration, at the politics of usual, as usual at that time, we didn't see the inner cities being lifted up. What did Donald Trump run on? What did he campaign on? The inner cities, we're going to lift them up. Record low minority unemployment rates. It's real. It's happening. George Bush might not have liked black people, but Donald Trump loves black people. Kanye West loves Donald Trump. Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark Levin, America's Paul Revere. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Who expect that if you're black, you have to be Democrat? I have a, uh, I've, I've had conversations that basically said that welfare is the reason why a lot of black people end up being Democrat. Boom! And there it is. Kanye West making more sense than an entire political party and many establishment Republican types as well. Remember when you had the Republican establishment types that said, oh, you can't compete for black people? Well, if you don't compete for black people, maybe that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Which, again, do I think George W. Bush was a racist? No. (laughs) Did I sit there and go, what? During the Katrina relief effort, when we did have the Kanye, George Bush doesn't like black people? Yes. Was I mesmerized by Michael Myers and what his reaction was as that entire thing was taking place? Yes. 
<laughs> in fact, I actually went back and, and watched that little uh, uh, the, the little series there uh, earlier today, and it's amazing. It's as entertaining today as it was the moment it happened. And maybe more so because that just came out of left field. So you didn't necessarily understand what was happening until it happened. Because the George Bush doesn't like black people, that was the culmination of everything that had been building up for about two minutes. And Michael Myers the entire time is looking. He'll look at Kanye. He'll look at the teleprompter. He'll look at Kanye. And then at one point during Kanye's kind of rant, he said Red Cross. And Michael Myers nods. (laughs) Yeah, I got that. And... And then it's back, and then we got George Bush doesn't like black people. And Michael Myers picks up and starts reading the teleprompter. Ah, oh, an all-time moment. Anyway, no, I, I don't think George Bush was, is a racist. But what I do think that he and many establishment Republicans engaged in is the belief that, you know what, we can't win there. And if you don't try hard, if you don't try to, Institute policies that make that big of a difference. If you aren't willing to have the politically incorrect conversations, well, guess what? Maybe you're not going to have the success you need. And I'm not talking about politically. Because, again, if you want to have political success with somebody, what do you have to do? You have to prove to them that you can make a difference. And as we're talking about record low minority unemployment rates, especially with the black community, that's a Donald Trump story. So you can sit there and you can say Donald Trump is, is a racist, Donald Trump is a whatever. But you know what Donald Trump is responsible for? An economy that has more black adults at work than ever before. That has hundreds of thousands of fewer families on welfare. It's providing a path and an American dream for people who didn't think it was possible and told you how to sit here and collect government assistance. That's what Donald Trump is doing. Never forget I've lived many lives, even though I'm, I'm not all that old. I, I pack a lot into a given day. <laughs> it's an understatement, given that I do two morning shows and, you know, I keep going. The, I, I uh, had a smoothie company, had a manager there one time, and uh, ended up getting a call. And a call came from government office doing a, an employment verification check verify the employment, and then they wanted to talk to the employee. I'm like, okay. So I hand the phone over to the employee, and conversation takes place. And I could tell after a couple minutes that it wasn't good. She was getting upset. She was getting really upset. I was like, okay. Gets off the phone, and she tells me, you know what uh, j- just happened? She said I'm making too much money. Single mother. She was a single mother. And she was being told that she was going to end up losing some of her government assistance unless she worked less because she was making too much money. They were actually telling her to earn less. And she was telling them that she wanted to make something out of her life. Now, we're going back nearly 20 years ago now. What do you think takes place in today's environment? That's why it took a sea change. That's why it took a, a catalyst, a, a, a game change like Donald Trump in so many different respects to break through. How many good economies have we had? We had a great economy in the 80s into the 90s. Why didn't we have record low black unemployment back then? 
the economy was good in the early part of the 2000s. Why didn't we have record low black unemployment then? Barack Obama, I mean, come on now. Well, of course, hope and change we know was a bunch of bull crap. But, I mean, he, he cares about black people, right? I mean, come on, look at him. Well, yeah, he, he cares about having their vote, which means you need to keep them on government assistance. Keep an economy that's mediocre. Keep an economy that will not allow people to have upward mobility. Boom, you got them right where you need them. Okay, so now we have Donald Trump. We have record low minority unemployment rates across the board. And what do you see? You see somebody like Kanye, who obviously is not an ideologue. Kanye West, not a Republican. At least not traditionally. Somebody who thinks that George Bush doesn't like black people, but somebody who loves Donald Trump. You see what goes on there? And you see why the media and the leftists are so scared of this man? Because he did what couldn't be done. He made a difference. Enacting policy that gave people a chance. And that means that you create open minds. That means that when you hear that, wow, Donald Trump's approval rating among black adults is in double digits all of a sudden. That could be enough. That could be enough. Let's go to Nancy in Indiana. Nancy, go. Hi, this is Nancy from Evansville, Indiana, and I'm so happy to talk to you. But you talk about a moral sliding moral compass Indeed. for the Democrats. Yeah, so you you got the sliding scale of morality. We're all somewhere on that scale between one and ten. Right, but you got to have morals to be on it. <laughs> okay, I uh, I guess I see where you're coming from. Uh, appreciate it, Nancy. All right, let's go to Don in New Jersey. Don, go. Hey, good afternoon. There's a site on human trafficking, Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. There's a caption there that says, Corruption 2. You drag it to the last 15 minutes of the timeline. The man says, I can only hold you in county six months, but I have a way to hold you for 300 years. I'm at Trenton Psych in New Jersey after he said that. I recorded two judges asking me for 10 grand, and Danielle's site... Uh, there's a picture of a hand over a drink captioned, please admit her translation is in the back of that. It says, women are exploited. It's not a choice. Children are forced into marriage. Pay attention to every written word. Figure out the codes. Blur out all the other lines. They're hyper-aggressive, high-hardcore gangsters. They dictate what you are to sing. That means when you come and knock on the door, is everything okay here? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. It says, although we're all here together, there's very little chance that we'll be able to interact with each other. I need protection. I'm no longer an agent of my own desire, but of his. They're influencing listeners how they get paid. So when I bring these tapes to the prosecutor, I recorded him say, okay, we're going to see your car down the street, and we're going to pull you over. I recorded that. It's Doug, S-I-T-T-E-L. It's captioned A to Z on my YouTube. You can hear them tell me you're not allowed to bring those tapes down to the quick check, and you have to tell me everywhere you've been with the tapes from South Carolina to New Jersey. And when you get to court, he did as he said. Uh, there's a Chicago backdrop. He says, I'm going to have to flee to Brazil. Or we're going to see you and order a psych exam. And they held me in the county six months. And like I said, I'm sitting here at this Trenton psych. He says in the one that says Chicago, he says, I have a she that runs the hospital. She will give you a little contract. They have all the guys trying to take pens and push them through my eye into my brain. That's the contract. So this this is an interesting, you know, it's kind of like uh, if the you're west of the Rockies dial. Uh, but I, I will I will take a look, Don. Uh, and and I 
do wish you well. And, and the sliding scale of morality, uh, I think you're dealing with some very amoral individuals. I, I would say that if, if we're talking on the scale of one to ten, the folks that you are dealing with probably starting out around a, a three. And, and so I don't like your chances of ever getting very far with those folks. But, uh, hey, uh, you know, for now, we're going to try to find those folks who are at least, at least, you know, five, sixes on our overall sliding scale of morality. Which, by the way, if you missed it at the onset of the show, it's kind of my theme that I'm tying things into today. I like to say there are two sides to stories, one side of facts. And you have the premise. If the premise of anything is false, anything built upon it will fail too. But there also is a sliding scale of morality. And somewhere on it, we exist. And when we're at our best, maybe we're good people. When we're at our worst, maybe we're not quite as good. But the difference is, are we somebody who will end up hurting others? What we see in today's world, we got a lot of folks that are willing to hurt others. And we have a whole political party right now that is willing to do that as well. And... A lot of that happens through misinformation. So let's talk about the employment situation again for a second. Record low unemployment for minorities. Black unemployment rate at all-time lows. And somewhere along the way, you have Donald Trump that brings out the best in many of these minority communities. You have somebody who actually sat down with Kim Kardashian, which many of us were skeptical about at the onset, and... Something constructive came out of it. Now you have Kanye West, who goes into the Oval Office, and something constructive might come out of it. But more to the point, the more open minds we have in this country, the better the employment picture for minorities, the more opportunity, not only politically, that comes with it, but the better the opportunity for the entire country. Open minds equal better opportunities and a better chance for a more moral nation. Because if we adhere to politics and to people that start out on that sliding scale of morality from a really negative place, where are we going to be taken? For the people who wanted to believe, for example, Christine Ford and Chuck Schumer, who said he believed her, Diane Feinstein, who believed her, people believed them. So you have people that started out in that sliding scale morality in an amoral place and have taken their politics and those folks left with them. That's not good. Donald Trump taking whole minority communities, including black adults, women, Hispanics, even Native Americans, to new heights economically that they had never seen before. That's the change, change it, and that's the difference. And that's the irony of a Donald Trump. Who in his own personal life, maybe not the most moral man, but in the grand scheme of that sliding scale morality, what politician has kept more promises inside of two years than that man? Dad always told me that there are two kinds of people. You got people who will tell you something and you can't believe it. And you got people who will tell you something and you can take it to the bank. When Donald Trump says something, you can pretty much take it to the bank. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. So I said I like Trump to like someone that's liberal, they'll say, oh, but he's racist. You think racism can control me? Oh, that don't stop me. That's an invisible wall. (laughs) Kanye. Kanye, everybody. All right, so 
It's been an interesting couple of days, been an interesting week, and, uh, well, the more things change, the more they stay the same, which is the hostility and the most pervasive form of bias in the media, which happens to be omission. Now, I've been talking about the Kanye effect throughout the course of this first hour, along with the sliding scale morality. Here's something else that you probably don't hear about too often. Now, we have had, according to the Media Research Center, folks over at Newsbusters, now 92% of the coverage, 92% of the coverage of the Trump administration by news media be negative. 92%. Now, you, you compare it to Barack Obama at this same point, about 46% negative. And you know where we were in the economy. You know where we were in this country a couple years into the Obama administration. Here's something that you also don't hear. Again, the omission. You'll have the media. Media is always happy to say, oh, here is a poll that shows Donald Trump at whatever approval rating. But there's been a truism pretty much the entire Trump presidency. The more informed and engaged a person is, the more likely they are to approve of President Trump. And that remains the case as we're a little more than three weeks away from the general election. If you take a look, At an average of various different polling out there, you'll see that among adult-only samples, President Trump's approval rating, about 43%. Among registered voters, eh, pretty much around the same. But among likely voters, we've continued to see it rise. You'll see some polling, Rasmus, at one point this week got to 51%. And an average of all likely voters, the president's been averaging around 46 47%. Now, that might not sound great, but let me put things in perspective for it. For a moment, Donald Trump's approval rating at this point in his presidency compared to Barack Obama's, among likely voters, his approval rating happens to be right now three points higher than Barack Obama's. Three points higher. Now imagine this for a moment. A president with 92% negative coverage compared to a president with 46% negative coverage. And yet... The one with 92% negative coverage among people who are likely to vote. Those that are most informed. Those that are most engaged. It's a rather incredible story. That's often omitted. And here's the bigger point. I've always said that you can lie to people about what they don't know. But you can't lie to them about what is or isn't in their wallet. This was true of Obamacare. All of the lies that were thrown out there and were perpetuated while that whole deal was going down. It was guaranteed not to work. It was guaranteed to fail. But hey, we got a bunch of people that wanted to believe. They bought into the hope and change. Okay, so Obamacare is going to be great. Okay, and here we are. And eight years later, for the same insurance coverage, you have 92% higher premiums. 92% more expensive eight years after Obamacare. You can't lie to people about that. We know about the, you know, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor and all the rest of that. So people understood as soon as they had to pay for it. We're in a similar place in this economy. A lot of folks get upset about media coverage. A lot of folks get upset about the way things are portrayed. But remember that if the media, media generally had the type of influence that we think they have, if they had the type of impact in elections that many will still assume they have, 
There's no way that Donald Trump is your president. And again, they can omit all they want, but people know that they're making more money. People know that they have a job. People know that their life is getting better. These are all things that are facts, and it's why the most informed and engaged are more likely to approve of President Trump. It's why we might actually be at one of those inflection points in American political history, the kind that might actually lead and Republicans not losing in this presidential election cycle. These are all the things that are on the table. Something else that you can't lie to people about. You can't lie to people about financial fraud. And we're going to talk about that and Medicare for All coming up next. Because Medicare for All is the biggest financial fraud ever perpetuated. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I think it's a shame what's happening in Chicago. I'm in Chicago a lot, too. I have nice things in Chicago. You know that, right? And I hate to see what's happening. I mean, could you imagine? One of those bullets could hit one of his buildings or something. It'd be really bad day. He got nice things in Chicago. He's got nice things in a lot of places. <laughs> President, all part of the uh, the festivities with Kanye yesterday. But the, the president actually has been doing something that has been a little bit beyond the radar, but really is important. And he's been really painting a clear picture about a number of issues. Most recently, Medicare for all. Now, Last week, we were talking about the honesty that the president put on Christine Ford's comments with that rant that he did during the rally when he pointed out succinctly how she seemed to remember nothing except that it was Brett Kavanaugh and that she had one beer. Nothing he said was false. Oh, but you can't say those things. Sure you can, because she was in the process of committing perjury. Oh, by the way. But... There's something else that he's been doing on Medicare for All, and that is uh, a piece that he ended up uh, pinning op-ed in the USA Today a couple of days ago called Dems Medicare for All Plan Threatens Our Seniors. And, hey, it is Brian Mudd, your South Florida friend. I uh, do a morning show at WJNO in West Palm Beach, a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. 
And uh, always an, an honor and a pleasure to be filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. By the way, you can uh, catch me on Twitter at Brian Mudd Radio. Now, here's an excerpt from the president's piece. Throughout the year, we've seen Democrats across the country uniting around a new legislative proposal that would end Medicare as we know it and take away benefits that seniors have paid for their entire lives. Called Medicare for All, the Democratic proposal would establish a government-run, single-payer health care system that eliminates all private and employer-based health care plans and would cost an astonishing $32.6 trillion during its first 10 years. Oh, by the way, as a candidate, I promised that we would protect coverage for patients with pre-existing conditions and create new health care insurance options that would lower premiums. I've kept that promise, and we're now seeing health insurance premiums coming down. I've also made a solemn promise to our great seniors to protect Medicare. That's why I'm fighting so hard against the Democrats' plan that would eviscerate Medicare. Democrats have already harmed seniors by slashing Medicare by more than $800 billion over 10 years to pay for Obamacare. Likewise, Democrats would gut Medicare with their planned government takeover of American health care. All right, end of the uh, excerpt there for the president. Let me put something in, in very clear terms. The president could not be more right. The omission and the media on this one, beyond the USA Today piece, is pretty incredible. But what the president is doing here is an education that you can't even get in school right now. It's so important. The greatest fraud, the greatest fraud that has ever been perpetuated and accepted as a legitimate concept by uh, millions of Americans is Medicare for all. Talking about the sliding scale of morality and how you have many politicians, a whole political party anymore, that starts out with an amoral base and will take you, if you line up with them, to an amoral place immediately because it's a false premise it's based on. Medicare for all is financial fraud. What the president was pointing out there, the $800 billion over 10 years that's diverted, here is what actually has happened to Medicare. He's 100% right. It's not a political talking point. It's a fact. If you go back a few years ago, Medicare was projected to begin to hit insolvency in the 2030s, kind of like Social Security. But what you've seen over recent years is increasingly we're going to reach insolvency sooner. Now, you don't have to be a financial genius to pick up on a couple points real quickly. And here's the first one. If we already are pacing insolvency with Medicare as we know it, what's going to happen if we put everybody on it? Now, here's the deal. According to the federal trustee of Medicare, we hit insolvency in 2026 as it is. 2026, eight years from now. Now, what happens in year one? 9% of Medicare benefits to Part A, gone first year. 9% Medicare, see ya. And it gets worse every year from there. Now, currently, you got 15% of Americans that are on Medicare. 15%, that's it. you got 100% of the workforce contributing to it. Now, you do the math on this one real quick. 15% on Medicare, insolvency in eight years. What happens when we put the other 85% of the population on it? I mean, it is financial fraud. This is bigger than Bernie Madoff. Yet you have a political party that's perpetuating it. 
in Florida. We've got the Democratic a gubernatorial candidate that is running on it. Financial fraud. Running on a platform of financial fraud. And by the way, if you're not paying attention to Florida's gubernatorial race, and you're not in Florida, that's okay. That's okay. But guess what? If Andrew Gilm, if the socialist wins, well, we've got much bigger problems because it's coming to a state near you. One of the most important elections in the entire country this year is what's happening right here in my home state of Florida, where we have Ron DeSantis, who was the Trump candidate, who is running as the Republican to replace Rick Scott, who's term limited and running for the Senate. Andrew Gillum is the Bernie Sanders candidate. I want you to think about this for a moment because you're used to Florida being the purple state, the swing state. We tend to have you know fairly moderate politicians. No. You will have the most liberal and leftist governor in the entire country if Andrew Gillum wins. And you go, well, that sucks to be you in Florida. No, it sucks to be you everywhere because here is what will happen. We've already seen it start start to take place. Andrew Gillum was not backed by the Democrats in our state. He was one of five candidates running. The establishment on the left ended up backing Gwen Graham, who had been the daughter of former governor uh, Bob Graham in our state. She finished second to Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum rode the wave of the Bernie Sanders support. He ended up winning the Democratic nomination with just 34% of the vote. That was enough to get through. What's happened is they've now consolidated around him, of course, the Democrats, the party. Soros came in here with his money. Michael Bloomberg just came uh, to South Florida, held an event for Andrew Gillum, cut him a check. So as you hear Michael Bloomberg sound like he's the, the, the populist, the sensible guy, he's backing somebody who is a Democratic socialist for governor in the state of Florida. But what's happening now that they're getting behind him and that he's running at this point, a race to where he is a slight favorite to win. They're watching closely, and they're saying, hey, he's getting the young people. Young people typically don't vote in midterm elections. And so what happens in Florida rarely stays in Florida. But this race in particular is critical. And again, there is one platform piece in particular that is really important to watch, and it is the Medicare for All. Which, by the way, is all that much more ironic when you're talking about a governor's race because, well, Medicare, federal program, it doesn't really matter. Andrew Gillum has also run on impeaching President Trump. I kid you not. That's part of what's going on here. Now, this is why it's important to educate. It's why it's important to inform. Simple concepts like this. If Medicare is already set to fail in just eight years... And benefits will be cut, and you've only got 15% on it. It is impossible. It is a financial fraud. It is out-and-out dishonest to say you can put everybody on it, and it's going to get better. There is no way without massive tax increases, massive benefit cuts, to be able to achieve what they're talking about. But if it wins politically, then what? We've got much bigger problems on our hands. Here's something that is... One of the biggest challenges we've got today, financial illiteracy. One of the things that drives me crazy, the average adult, average adult is financially illiterate. If you really want to be afraid of the education establishment, be afraid of this. The average teacher, by the way, also happens to be financially illiterate. 
I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making it up. It's according to FINRA. See, FINRA has a basic financial literacy test. And right now, more than 60% of adults fail it. A basic financial literacy test. And that's part of the problem we have with conversations and concepts like this. It doesn't matter how educated one is. Generally, if they're financially illiterate, then these concepts might be bought and sold, kind of like hope and change and Obamacare. So having these conversations, making sure that you're financially informed, making sure your kids are financially informed, pretty important, not only for their everyday life, but when it comes to concepts like this, because ultimately it's not complicated, but it is fraud. It's financial fraud, it's dishonest, and it's guaranteed to fail. We'll come back and talk about another big-time fraud perpetuated on us, the minimum wage. Who earns it? Pretty much nobody. And that's the dirty little secret. Talk about that next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. Smart cookie, smart. He gets it. I love this guy right here. Let me get this guy. <laughs> oh, and there you go. I mean, uh, coming soon. Sarah Huckabee Sanders meets Kanye West. Hey, talk about some entertaining exchanges. Hey, you heard the president. He said he could talk for him anytime. <laughs> what do you want to bet that there is a certain amount of empowerment that Kanye feels? I mean, look. Kanye, as the president said, he is a smart cookie. <laughs> but you could also see him going, you know what the president said? I can speak for him any time. That, that could be entertaining. That has, uh, that has implications. We'll see where that story ends. Now, a uh, story that I can't believe is still being discussed. One that has been long perpetuated as a fraud, not as significant as the Medicare fraud, the Medicare for all idea that we were just talking about, but the minimum wage, the the greatest fraud perpetuated over decades of time has been the need for the minimum wage to be maintained by your federal government. Now, recently we had the Amazon.com increase to $15 per hour, which in and of itself, and don't get me wrong, Amazon, they built a, a better mousetrap. But, I mean, the hypocrisy. You want to talk about the hypocrisy on the left. It knows no bounds. Remember, uh, once upon a time, Walmart was the greatest evil in the country because they were coming to your neighborhood and, and killing mom and pa. They were taking them out. They were taking their businesses. And then they were uh, putting a bunch of people on, yes, minimum wage, right? Uh, plus, now Walmart, they're from, uh, they're from Republican place, aren't they? Yeah, they're those people. So, I mean, for all those reasons, I mean, Walmart was just evil. But here you go. You've got uh, you got Amazon.com. They happen to be greater than three times the size of Walmart. Yes. Yes, Amazon is 300% the size in market capitalization of Walmart and loved by the left. But again, you know, I, I begrudge them nothing. They happen to be a capitalist. They built the better mousetrap. But anyway... I digress. So Amazon goes to $15 per hour, and then you hear the, the folks go, 
everybody should take Amazon's model. Now, I will point out some of the obvious here for people actually understand economics. There are many other businesses that operate in retail, which happens to be a low margin business, that are getting crushed by Amazon that, ironically enough, are going to have a harder time increasing wages because Amazon, at their size, scale, and uh, ability to deliver the way they're delivering, uh, they, they are killing the profits. Uh, take a look at any number of your retail companies that you grew up with that are dead and dying as we speak. Now, that notwithstanding, the number of people that actually earn minimum wage. I went back and actually checked my research on this, and ironically enough, the last time it was a really big issue. It kind of like coming off the Occupy crowd. In the 2014 midterm elections, it happened to be about four years ago, that we had the, the big minimum wage conversation. And, hey, you know what? A lot of folks in the country had a point. The economy did kind of suck. You know, for eight years of Obama, we averaged 1.8% economic growth. We never even got close to an average U.S. economy. So, yeah, okay. But even then, what percentage of people earned minimum wage? You got a number in your head? How many people back in 2014 you think earned minimum wage? You ready? 1.8%. Even in Barack Obama's economy, it was only 1.8%. What's more is the average age of somebody who earned minimum wage happened to be 22 and happened to be working part-time. I mean, you know, the, the people that were heads of households that were, you know, trying to raise a family and, uh, you know, they needed a living wage. Right. But that was then. And we've got the best economy in a generation. We got the lowest unemployment rate in 49 years. We've got record low unemployment rates for everybody but pretty much whitey white people. And how many people actually earn the minimum wage? You ready? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, That's 0.6%. 0.6%. Now, what's more is that 99% of those people, the 0.6%, are under the age of 25. And what happened? As soon as Amazon raised those wages, we got the minimum wage conversation come up again. Ah, one of the great frauds perpetuated that's out there the living wage it's funny what actually happened a good economy economics amazon.com prospering and they had the financial wherewithal to be able to increase wages just like what we're seeing because here's another little factoid oh by the way when you take a look at the average amount of money that a person's making not only are we finally just about a three percent in terms of wage growth by the time you add in bonuses, it goes over that. By the time you add in your tax cut, it turns out to be about another 1800 bucks for the average person working this year. Guess what? The average net take-home pay, now up 6.7% year over year. You have to go back 32 years to find the last time you had income growth that good. So, the living wage. It's funny what happens when you actually have a good economy. You have a living wage! And the minimum wage, well, it's just a bunch of BS. Kind of like Medicare for all. Ah, Two sides of stories, one side of facts. We'll continue to do a lot more of the factual stuff right here. I am Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? 
Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Conservative Fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. If he don't look good, we don't look good. This is our president. All the more reason why he needs the hydrogen-powered iPlane. Come on now. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things, that was one of those... uh, What just happened moments? And then, of course, in in the grand scheme of the media kind of losing its mind, everybody had to point out what uh, Kanye's iPhone password is, which uh, zeros. (laughs) So anyway, that was uh, that was an interesting moment. But again, you know, when you've got the the dragon energy and you've got your MAGA Superman hat on, things happen. You know, it's really hard to kind of channel all of that. And and you got to. You know, so every now and then you're going to have a, a hydrogen iPlane. And the, the president. Oh, the president. <laughs> I was talking earlier. You, you, one, of my, one of my all-time favorite reactions. Michael Myers watching Kanye do the uh, Katrina relief. Like, where is the exit button on this stage right now? How can I get off of here now, please? And uh, it was kind of one of those moments. President Trump is looking like, okay, what do I do here? And you talk about role reversal because he's usually the people ma- person making people uncomfortable. But uh, you got a feeling that for once he got a dose of his own uh, kind of thing there. Anyway, uh, talking about some of the financial fraud that's been perpetuated, Medicare for All is a financial fraud. Again, if you missed what I had to say about a half hour ago, it's not complicated and this is the way, it's the shutdown, drop the mic argument. You have 15% of Americans on Medicare right now. It's pace and insolvency in eight years. 15%, 100% of folks that work are on are contributing to Medicare, insolvency in eight years. What happens when you put the other 85% on? Back to you. Okay, so that is the greatest financial fraud that would ever be perpetuated on this country. And it is a disingenuous, dishonest argument that is perpetuated on people by virtue of the average adult being financially illiterate. And again, not my opinion, proven by FINRA. 60% of adults are financially illiterate. It's all part of the problem that we've got to overcome informationally here. But here's something else that is a fraud that is perpetuated on people. I talked about the benefit of the tax cuts and how the average person net take-home pay this year 
up 6.7%, which, by the way, when you run into somebody, well, I haven't seen any benefit from it. Well, that's just because you probably haven't done anything about it. Most recently, we've seen a, a report that came out showing that about 30 million Americans never made any adjustments. Either their employers didn't, they didn't, for the tax cuts. So it's all going to be reconciled when they filed their taxes, but they would be seeing that money right now if they had actually made the adjustments with their employer. So that's what's going on with almost everybody. So I haven't seen it. Well, it's because you haven't done anything. Now, the next part of that fraud comes in with companies. You hear how awful the tax cuts are because evil corporations, you know, the, the ones we work for, the evil corporations, they're using it to buy back all their stock and, you know, do what rich corporate fat cats do to screw the little guy. You know, that, that stuff. Except that that's a fraud as well. It's dishonest. It's a lie. See, uh, CNBC, you know, the, the vast right-wing media at CNBC, <clears throat> they have a, a CFO council, and they get research from them constantly on what's going on with any number of different issues. And so on the tax cuts, CNBC, with their CFO council, have found a, a few things that are interesting. For example, what is the, the most common way who has been the biggest beneficiary of the corporate, the corporate, not the personal, the corporate tax cuts? The share buybacks, right? There's horrible shareholders, of which you probably are one. Actually, the employees, get this. According to the CFO council, CNBC's now, 35%, 35% of all tax cut savings has gone to a combination of bonuses and employee raises. 35%. 20% has gone to debt reduction, which makes sense. We've seen interest rates rise. Companies that have debt, they should pay it off. That helps the company become more stable, lessens their debt burden with rates rising. 15%, 15% on share buybacks, 10% upgrading software, 5% upgrading, di- uh, upgrading equipment, and 5% have increased dividends. So all in, the combination of share buybacks and dividend payouts, 20%. That's it. And even then, you probably benefit because, once again, something that is not perpetuated informationally by our friends and media generally, 52% of Americans own stocks. And, by the way, despite the volatility of the past few days, the greatest wealth creation machine, the history of the world is your United States stock market. So I don't apologize for that anyway. But the biggest beneficiary is you, the employee. But, hmm, you know, I, I guess conveniently that that message has just been missed. You know, I, I'm sure that any day now it's going to be a big story that will be reported on. And again, CNBC, they're the ones with that story. Interesting how even NBC one of their news outlets hasn't decided to actually run with their own story from their own CFO council. Ah, one of these days, I'm sure it's just oversight. All right, let's go to Russ in South Dakota. Russ, go. How are we doing? All good. Well, I see it as kind of a two-part problem, really. I mean, you get a single-payer health care system, and you're going to basically just keep these big hospitals in business. The smaller ones, they're not going to survive. You know, they're not going to make the money that these bigger ones are making off of because they can't cut the cost 
that the government wants them to cut them down to for a lot of this stuff. That's the first part I see. The second part I see is we need to adjust something in the hospitals. Do you know what it costs to manufacture a 1,000cc bag of IV fluids? I would think not much. I'm guessing you know. A dollar. I, I did the research before my call just to make sure I had the numbers right. And you know what they charge you for it in the hospital? And well, a lot more than that. $300. Well, and, and so, Russ, and I appreciate the call, and you have uh, and a, a good point, but a, a couple things in, that we should discuss when we're talking about insurance generally. The biggest problem in affordability in health care is health insurance. The problem is we have embraced the idea that health insurance equals health care. That's not the case. One of the more remarkable statistics in the wake of Obamacare has been the lack of people that could afford health care with health insurance. This was according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, hardly a conservative organization. They still to this day are proponents of Obamacare. I mean, after all, they kind of have a vested interest. But here's what they found in their research. There are 42 million Americans, 42 million, that have health insurance that can't afford health care. You think about that for a moment. The average health insurance plan, $8,500. Now, if you don't pay all that, it might be because your employer is sponsoring it. But that's the all-in average cost of health insurance right now. So, would you be better off if you had $8,500 that you could use on health care? Or would you be better off if $8,500 went for health insurance and then after that, you got to see how much you had to pay out of pocket before you would hit a deductible, which often happens to be a high deductible plan, which then you can't hit, which is why people can't afford health care. That's all part of the financial fraud. So the, the number one way to get to more affordable health care is to break the back of the insurance first model. Having embraced it was the first thing that we did that was a a big-time mistake. Once you do that, you're going to get to the crux of what you were talking about there, which is consumer price transparency. The most bat-crap crazy thing I have ever seen in my life is walking into a medical facility, being handed a piece of paper that says in so many words that whatever happens in that facility which you have no clue generally yet what that's going to be, and whatever it happens to cost, which they generally can't even tell you, and whatever your insurance company doesn't pay for, which they also can't tell you, you'll pay for. How crazy is that? You imagine walking into a store, filling a cart with stuff, not having a clue what any of it costs, And signing a piece of paper that says, some point later, we're going to tell you how much you're going to pay us for this? I mean, that is bad crap crazy. But that's what we have with our insurance first model right now. So you break the back of it. We get to weigh the way we use insurance for everything else in our life. How is that? Well, what do we do? If we have, you know, a mechanical problem with our car, well, we, we go pay and have it fixed. If we get in a big time accident, we file an insurance claim. We're already at the point with health insurance to where it's essentially catastrophic care for tens of millions of Americans, right? Can't afford to use health care the rest of the time. Okay, so why don't we go to that place? 
to where we use health insurance as a catastrophic plan. Which, by the way, is what the president's new plans, the ones that are called skinny and bad plans and that the Democrats are are sitting there, you know, saying it's the worst thing. That's essentially what they are is catastrophic care, which is cheaper and better for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to use the other more expensive policies anyway. But at that point, you're able to do what? You're able to be a consumer. We are incredibly good consumers when we have an opportunity to shop. Uh, We can find the best deal in the world on a TV or whatever else it is. We'll sit there and we'll take a look. Yep, yeah, best deal, boom, done. But with healthcare, we never have a shot. We never have a shot at doing it. One of the things I do somewhat routinely, I'll take a look anytime we have research that will show the cost of a procedure from one place to the next. Uh, I had a... I had a minor surgery years ago that had I gone through my insurance would have cost 8,000 bucks. Decided to shop around, paid cash, and it was $500. Kind of to the point there. We never know because we sign pieces of paper that say, hey, something's going to happen here and we'll pay for whatever the insurance company doesn't. So the, the if you really want to get to the crux of it, not only is Medicare for all financial fraud, but frankly, the biggest lie of Obamacare is not the, you know, it's going to be cheaper and you can keep your doctor and all that. It's that insurance equals health care. Insurance doesn't equal health care. Insurance is the antithesis of health care for tens of millions of Americans. We'll continue the conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. But this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. And I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman. That was that's my favorite superhero. Non-political, no bull. Put the beep on it, however you want to do it. <laughs> you know, some of the things that uh, you didn't necessarily know specifically were going to happen with Donald Trump as president, but. Hey, you know there would be some moments that would be a little bit different. There you go. Uh, and, yes, you have the feigned outrage, the the moral folks in the media that are, oh, my gosh, the profanity. 20 years, 20 years removed from the Oval Office equaling a blue dress. So Kanye West using profanity in the Oval Office is somehow or another 20 years later. <gasps> Just reprehensible. But the president, you know, doing a, a Lewinsky thing. I mean, that, you know, that was okay. You know, that was actually part of the 1998 midterm election. That whole impeachment effort, which is interesting because there are a number of different comparisons you can actually make between that midterm cycle and this one. But, uh, you know, they talking about some of the misinformation out there. The fraud that is Medicare for all talked about how much more money we're really making net take home pay up 6.7% year over year. And then you get into this recent study that was really just mind numbing. It's why we have the fraud being perpetuated. That is Medicare for all survey. Republicans 
believe U.S. economic system is fair to most Americans. Democrats don't. This came out earlier this week. Republicans believe U.S. economic system is fair to most. Democrats don't. Here's the irony of all this. Success not exactly being partisan. Kanye West, not exactly your right-wing Republican conservative type. But guess who else isn't? Like all of your richest self-made people in this country. And I'll float a few names of the richest Americans for a moment. Jeff Bezos. Warren Buffett. Mark Zuckerberg. Bill Gates. You happen to notice a trend here? They all happen to be lefties. Once again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. So why isn't that with the richest, the most successful, the wealthiest individuals in this country actually being lefties, that most Democrats feel the U.S. economic system isn't fair? Now, this gets back to what I pointed out earlier this hour. 60% of adults being financially illiterate. But here's the more important point. And this is another shutdown argument if you want it. You'll have people talk about how much more fair it is elsewhere. Well, guess what? The median world per capita income is $10,298. In the United States, you can't even legally work full-time and earn less than $16,000 a year. So, yes, the minimum wage in the United States, which, as I pointed out a little bit ago, only 0.6% of the population earns, is approximately 60% higher than the median income around the world. So, to all the folks who say that our economic system isn't fair, see ya! Nobody's keeping you here. Good luck to you. Let's go to Ryan in California. Ryan, go. Hey, uh, as soon as the tax uh, thing went through, I paid attention to my paychecks. And... Right when it went through, I noticed $30 more. And I went to all of my coworkers where I work at a body shop. And all those guys, they're like, whoa, I got 30 And so it was like 30 to 35 bucks that the federal government wasn't taking away from me. So those crumbs that Nancy Pelosi was talking about actually makes a difference. Well, she wants your crumbs back, man. <laughs> yeah, she wants her crumbs back, but I'm going to fight for them. <laughs> it's good stuff. Appreciate it, Ryan. Once again, you can lie to people about what they don't know, but you can't lie to people about what is or isn't in their wallet. As Ryan just pointed out, we'll be right back and talking about the fraud that is the UN Climate Council. That's next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Yes, we are fine. Yes. It's what media speculate and it's gossip. It's not always um, correct stuff. There you go. You got the speculating media, and Melania says it's fake news. Fake news. By the way, I do feel guilty about doing that. 
Melania is pretty amazing. How many, as many languages as she speaks, I, I shouldn't be picking on the speculating. And for that matter, I, yeah, I can barely speak one language effectively, and I actually managed to carve out a living doing it, which is kind of remarkable. But nevertheless, that was uh, Melania, all part of her exclusive with ABC, where, by the way, you know, she was uh, noted for saying that she is the most bullied person in the world. Probably is when you think about it. And by the way, ABC, they ended up this morning doing a little bit of a preview. They were bullying her. By God, the interview questions, everyone. You know, your your husband's a scumbag, right? I don't really worry about uh, my, my husband. I focus on we have a good marriage and I'm happy and I focus on important things. Yeah, but you, you know, I mean, all these other women. I mean, come on. Well, we're actually happily married, and yeah, but, I mean, it's Trump. No, you're right. I hate the guy. <laughs> what are you trying to do to her? What do you think she's going to say to you anyway? My God. People can't. And then, but but they're all out there all day. Oh, the exclusive with Melania Trump. We tried to destroy her. <laughs> oh, jeez. That was the irony of that one. Be bullied by ABC, and they're exclusive. Anyway. I gotta get into uh speaking of fake news, United Nations, their climate report, the one that just came out earlier this week, the mass hysteria that's playing out, talking about the fraud that is uh Medicare for all last hour, talking about the fraud that is the living wage argument and the minimum wage argument, and also talking about the greatest disservice and the biggest fraud and the biggest lie of the not so affordable care act of Obamacare, which not actually the $2,500 that we never saved and the fact that policies are 92% more expensive than they were prior to the passage. But uh, actually, the, the fact that insurance coverage itself is an obstacle to health care for tens of millions of Americans. Before we uh, get into the climate conversation and the fraudulent UN reports, wanted to uh, go to Nick in New Jersey uh, Nick, you have a great question that I am uh, happy to address. Nick, go. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, last hour, you when you were talking about breaking the back of the uh, that insurance first model, um, you talked about shopping around for surgery. I'm actually in the process of uh, look trying to get a uh, spinal surgery, um, and so how would you even go around uh, go about shopping? you know, shopping around for that if you're so limited to what, you know, in the current model, what your uh, insurance says. And and since this is a very real situation for you right now, uh, first, God bless and, and best wishes on, on what you're you're working towards right now. Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, Nick in, in Essex, New Jersey. So, you know, if you have any uh, information that might be specifically helpful to, to Nick in Essex, uh, get in touch with me. And, uh, you know, we'll see if we can't uh, can help him out somehow. Uh, Nick, your, your question is important for two reasons. One, it's very difficult to obtain that kind of information right now because of this insurance first model. There is not uh, much in the line of, of consumer price transparency. As you noted, you've been looking for it and you're having trouble finding it. It is extremely difficult. There are uh, a smattering of healthcare facilities, often not those that are involved in providing major surgery that will provide some price transparency. It's part of the importance in breaking the back of this model. If we did, then you would have everybody that would have to compete on a service and 
outcome type of model, just like we do with everything else. That's why, you know, I, I make the analogy to all other insurance products in our lives. If you end up having, uh, you know, a, a minor issue with your car, you go to a mechanic, you get it fixed. You can shop around, you can see what mechanics are reliable, which ones you feel good about, see what things cost, and make that decision. If you get into a significant accident, you end up filing an insurance claim, probably just looking for a good body shop that your insurance company will go ahead and work with, right? You're not doing as much shopping there. So the first thing, you know, even if we can get to this place, there are going to be some exceptions. I don't imagine there'll ever be a good time to be shopping for the best price when you're having to go to the emergency room for some major medical event, right? Uh, So that would be in a, a moment where it wouldn't necessarily apply. And there might be some other major surgeries to where it wouldn't necessarily apply. I mean, we're talking major surgeries. You have complications that you don't even know about until you get in there. Uh, So, uh, you know, there, some of these things will never be solved uh, by being able to say, Oh, okay, well, this is everything I need medically. And here's the price. But again, for all the basics, it would provide that level of transparency. And that's kind of the, the more important point generally, but to your specific situation, uh, again, I, I feel for you, and and I wish you the best, and I hope that you can find uh, some providers nearby that would be able to assist you that can provide some level of transparency. What I have done, and I'll tell you that it's not always the most popular thing, and it's not necessarily uh, something that always comes with an answer, but I will ask people, and my wife's gotten good at this too, asking how much is this going to cost, and it can lead to the healthcare provider kind of running in circles and every now and then you won't get an answer. I have actually not obtained healthcare in, in some instances because they couldn't tell me how much something was going to cost. I won't necessarily just sign a piece of paper that says, Hey, whatever happens in here, I'm going to pay for. I don't provide any of them my social security number because they don't have a right to it. So in that context, you can ask Hey, here's my situation. What am I looking at? And hopefully there are some providers that might be able uh, to provide you with at least some guidance on that type of information. But again, uh, God bless and and best wishes to you. And uh, if anybody comes through with some uh, specific information, make sure that uh, your your, uh, information there, uh, we uh, we have it and uh, can get in touch with you. Um, All right. So switch the gears here for a moment. Away from healthcare, over to another major fraud. By the way, as we're getting into this climate talk, you're going, hold on, who is this guy? It's clearly not the great one. No, you're right. I'm more like the little one. I am, uh, I'm Brian Mudd. I'm your South Florida friend. Uh, I do a morning show, WJNO in West Palm Beach and a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami. And uh, always a pleasure and an honor to be here with you and filling in for the great one. And uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Brian Mudd Radio. And I live on some principles, two sides to stories, one side of facts. I operate on the premise. I will never accept a false one. And I will assert that anything that's built upon a false premise is destined to fail. And also tonight, I've talked about the sliding scale of morality. I think it helps explain a lot of what goes on in our everyday life, how some people can seem like they're good people in good times and then turn around and stab us in the back. Or in this particular case, how we now have a political party that's basically embraced a a lack of morality 
to where they're willing to be dishonest and lie about major issues that would impact every American, like the fraud that is Medicare for all, for example, and then have people buy into it. The political party that will perpetuate a a series of, of lies and deceit, like Christine Ford, and I believe her, as Chuck Schumer, Dianne Feinstein, and many Democrats did. Because then their constituents believe them, creating a whole major segment of this country that embraces a lack of morality and a lack of honesty, a lack of integrity and decency. But we also have that with climate stuff. And the U.N., ah, the the blessed U.N. By the way, Nikki Haley was about the only thing good at the U.N. And now that she's heading out, how many people uh, would necessarily miss it if we we did just go ahead and say, you know what, we're not going to subsidize, we're not going to subsidize the U.N. and Man, that is some fine real estate in Manhattan, and we happen to have a president and knows a thing or two about Manhattan real estate. What do you think? Anyway, uh, here is a headline in the Spectre that was brilliantly done. Good news. We now have until 2030 to save the Earth. This is an excerpt from the Spectre story. According to the IPCC report, we now have 12 years to avert climate catastrophe. That might not sound long. But it means we're a good deal further away from doom than we were in 2007 when the WWF said we have five years to save the world. The doomsday clock hadn't moved in 2011 when the International Energy Agency warned that we would have five years to start slashing carbon emissions or lose the chance forever. By last year, it had shortened to three years, according to Christina Figures, the executive secretary of the U.N. Framework Convention on Climate Change. But now it's right up at 12 years, presumably meaning that we can pretty much twiddle our, our thumbs until 2030, a whole 18 years after the WWF told us the world would come to an end if we didn't slash carbon emissions. Their tongue-in-cheek approach to pointing out how disingenuous, dishonest, and wrong the United Nations has been year after year after year with their doomsday report. But what happens year after year after year? You have the same folks in the media, the same folks on the left, same folks in education. Embrace it. And go, oh my gosh, take a look at this. Now, could you imagine? I, I, you know, I, I've always taken a look at meteorologists and been gone, man, I cannot imagine... Getting up every day, being wrong more than half of the time, getting a paycheck, and feeling good about life. These people are worse than that. They're wrong every year. They keep jobs. They're well-respected. They go on the speaking circuit. It's fascinating to watch. So the question is, when will credibility matter? And I'm going to break down how little of it has ever existed at the United Nations, and with this crowd. Coming up next, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. It is not concern and focus of mine. I'm a mother and a first lady, and I have much more important things to think about and to do. No, come on. Say that you want a divorce. How can we talk you into a divorce today? 
Uh, Melania talking about the, uh, well, you, you, you know, you've got to be upset about the allegations of the infidelity. That was her answer to that question. There were like four different questions aimed at getting Melania Trump by ABC, uh, you know, to, to try to disavow her marriage, Donald Trump. Just say the guy's a little evil. Come on. A little bit. And, and she wouldn't budge. <laughs> I mean, just incredible. I wonder what she was really thinking by the end of that interview, by the way. And it's fascinating to know what ultimately didn't make it because Lord knows how much they had that they went ahead and edited it out. But anyway, uh, so talking about the lack of climate credibility at the United Nations. Now, shared with you, really well done um, piece from the Spectre that put in context how wrong the United Nations has been on their climate predictions every single year for years. Yet, for some reason, they retain credibility. For some reason, we subsidize this nonsense. For some reason, and we know what the reasons are, they're all political. It's embraced by those on the left. Now, I think any honest and decent person, if you're wrong, if you're way the heck wrong for your entire professional career, somewhere along the way, you'd have a sense of, you know, maybe I should do something else. But if you are part of the leftist climate science crowd, you're going to keep on keeping on. And they're going to keep on peddling your, your nonsense. And that's exactly what we've seen. It's fascinating as you take a look at the entire way this thing came full circle. You go back to the 1970s, what was it? It was the, the global cooling and the ice age, right? So I uh, actually pulled earlier this week and the UN report came out. Yeah, the June 24th, 1974 Time article that was based on this climate science called Another Ice Age. And then on April 28th, 1975, Newsweek, they published the story, The Cooling World, because that's what was going on. Man-made global cooling. And then somewhere along the way, it's like, oh, crap. Well, that's not working out. So then it became what? In the 80s and 90s, you remember what it was. Remember how every aerosol can, every little puff of that hairspray for that big 80s hair, that was another chunk out of that ozone layer? Oh, yeah. The elimination of the ozone layer. And then somewhere along the way, you're like, oh, you know what? The sun actually has something to do with the ozone layer. And guess what? If we actually dedicated the entire effort of this world towards eliminating it, we probably couldn't because we're probably not going to be highly effective at taking out the sun. Oh, and by the way, some of those uh, holes, <laughs> funny thing, is sunspots, you know? Huh. So that went away. And then what did it become? Well, it was global warming. And we got global warming for many years, right? And then, uh-oh, not buying it. So we go from global cooling, we go from the ozone layer, to global warming, to something that actually is real, to something that's actually real, to climate change. And that is how they completed the corrupt circle, because climate change is real, always has been, always will be. Funny things happen. We've had ice ages. We've had periods of extreme heat. We've had a minimum of three mass extinction events, all remarkably enough, before we were even on this planet. It must have been all like the, the dinosaur flatulence, you know? You know how like uh, cow farts? They actually are more polluting than, than like, uh, you know, cars. So if you just had, if you think about it, 
This is a, the PETA crowd should really think about this for a moment. You know, if we don't eat meat, I, I mean, what happens? You care more about the, the cow or do you care about, uh, you know, your, your climate change there? Because you got you. If we have more cows, what's going to happen? This is a real moral dilemma. You should consider this. So anyway, apparently uh, what happened was a bunch of dino flatulence. And uh, dino flatulence ended up leading to uh, some mass uh, extinction events. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, falling off the logic to its natural conclusion, you see. Ah. <laughs> Once again, two sides to stories. One side of facts. I enjoy facts, and we'll continue to bring them to you. I am Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, the voice of America. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. It sort of looks like there was tornadoes, so you just see spots where, you know, everything was down, and you see, you know, it's like stuff a tornado went through. That is Florida's Governor Rick Scott, who is term-limited and actually running against Bill Nelson for the United States Senate, one of the most important races in the country because Rick has a chance at a Republican pickup. Bill Nelson has not faced a tough competition Pretty much at any point. He's won his elections in Florida by 522 and 18 points. And Rick Scott right now is in a statistical tie. It's kind of unfortunate. He's even in a tie. He's been uh, easily a top three governor during his seven plus years. And he has been rock solid, remarkable dealing with disasters like what we've been dealing with with Hurricane Michael here, which which, by the way, uh, I'm Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin, by the way, and I'm in southeastern Florida quite fortunate to be virtually missed entirely by the storm. We got you know a little bit of weather, but but nothing of, of significance here. But for the folks in the panhandle, what you uh, what you see is is very real for one specific community, Mexico Beach, and to a certain extent the surrounding areas. I'm gonna give you an idea in a comparison real quick. A lot of folks are familiar with Hurricane Andrew, even if you're not anywhere near South Florida. Of course, Hurricane Andrew, the devastation. You might even have some of those images in your head. And one of the things that I ended up noticing when we were taking a look at some of the imagery come back from Mexico Beach, ground zero for Hurricane Michael, a lot of pictures that looked an awful lot like what we saw with Hurricane Andrew. You heard uh, Rick Scott say there, it's like a tornado. Well, it is. You know, in hurricanes, a lot of people put the focus on the category and the top sustained wind. Very rarely is the wind the issue in hurricanes. And I know that sounds weird if you're not used to have having to deal with them. Well, how could a hurricane be about almost anything but the wind? Just as you saw with Florence and the Carolinas, just as you saw with Harvey in Houston last year, it's the flooding. Storm surge and flooding is responsible for the overwhelming majority of damage and death in hurricanes. Rarely is it about the wind. Now, Hurricane Andrew was about the wind. When you get to a certain level, you're not just talking about a tornado. You're talking about 
a hurricane that around its core is a tornado. To give you an idea, you got that scale. You know, you got the F1 through the F5 tornado scale, right? With top sustained winds at 155 miles an hour, Hurricane Michael was three miles per hour away from being an F3 tornado. Now, I'm very fortunate. I got my my family has been trying to uh, to give me a, a heart attack. I think I, I got my parents and my sister and my brother in law that are in Naples. So last year, Irma uh, hit them directly. They ended up being all right. Ironically, and I'm on the other coast. I'm southeastern Florida. Um, I was without power for five days. We had a little tornado came through, tore up some of the power lines near us. They were without power for like going to. So they actually fared better where Hurricane Irma struck directly than than we did. Go figure. But I uh, got a brother in Panama City Beach. You saw all the reporters through Michael that were on PC Beach. Give you an idea. He was uh, about 10 miles from ground zero and really about four to six miles outside. Never lost power. And been without cell service pretty much for the past couple of days. Boat in the marina, basically fine. Right there, that close, just a matter of miles. And that's because we're talking about a hurricane that went through, as Governor Scott said, like a tornado. But there's something else that is kind of uh, important in the context in the conversation. And this is a, a me to you for anybody who could be along any coastline. You'd be in the Northeast. You could be anywhere in between. You could be on the Gulf. Right, take a look at what happened in Mexico Beach. I uh, I had an idea. There's one silver lining that came out of Hurricane Andrews, building codes. We have what's called the Miami-Dade Code that is rock solid. You don't do anything but concrete anymore in affected areas. And it makes a difference. Every now and then, you see the pictures of Mexico Beach. You'll see structures that are still standing right next to whole areas that are just completely wiped out, nothing but debris. And you know, well, what's the difference there? I had an idea that a lot of those homes were built well before we had the Miami-Dade standards after Hurricane Andrew in 92. Went back and took a look. The average home that was built in Mexico Beach is 1983. 1983. Well before those standards. wood frame homes. And so the me to you is... You're in one of those types of homes, and you're at a point to where you could be impacted by a hurricane. You know, you, you might want to think uh, about your situation, uh, because if you get a hurricane that's like a tornado that comes near you, you know, think about the impact in your home. The ones that are standing, by and large, are your structures that were built after 92 with those upgraded and updated standards. can mean the difference not only in life and death, but it can make the difference in your home being there versus your home being wiped out. It can make the difference between a community that can be rebuilt and something that isn't even recognizable. I was mentioning Hurricane Irma last year. You go to the uh, the lower keys. You'll see when you go down there, every now and then it's like, huh, wow. It seems like there's a lot of space where there used to be homes. That's the case. They aren't there anymore. They're completely wiped out. Many of them were just taken straight into the ocean and the uh, in the lower keys where Irma came through. And then you got others, a mm, couple shingles missing. Can be the difference. Uh, life and death. Big, big deal. So anyway, uh, just uh, as you're seeing these pictures, putting everything in context, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, I think, very, 
very much like Andrew. And I think we're very fortunate that it went in in an area that was as sparsely populated relatively as that area uh, to minimize the damage, the devastation where it caused, because it is real. But thank God it didn't go into a place where you had millions of people, for example, at that size and that strength. All right. Uh, I've been talking about some of the financial frauds, the climate frauds throughout the course of this show. Uh, We're going to check in. Uh, Todd wanted to talk about single payer. Todd in Ohio, go. Hey, uh, nice to be on the show. Just want to point something out real quick so your fans can check it out and our fans can check it out. On YouTube, there's a Louder with Crowder undercover in the Canadian healthcare system. The, him and a couple of his buddies go in with cameras hidden and try to get health care in Canada. His buddies are from Canada. And just go watch and see how bad this is. I mean, it's like four hours to see a nurse, four hours more to see a doctor. So you're there like eight hours. They're only open on certain days. They're closed on the weekends. so no care on the weekends. Um, if you go to the private sector, just a basic checkup, the nurse told them it cost them $900 if they went to a private doctor. That's single-payer health care up there. It's just north of us. So it's our neighbor, and just people need to go see how bad of an idea this is. And they do a really good job showing it on there. So CRTV, uh, yeah, you can go check it out. Uh, appreciate it, Todd. And uh, by the way, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, ironically enough, being here in South Florida, we got a ton of Canadians, especially starting in about a month during what turns out to be our season. And a lot of folks come year round for exactly the reason you're talking about healthcare. because, yes, when you are in that type of environment, ultimately you're at the mercy of the system. And the system ultimately is going to, well, dictate unless you end up paying through the nose to exact a different outcome, which is why often people come here, get better choice of care. It's funny how that whole thing works. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and let's just talk in ubiquitous terms for a moment, because I like simple concepts to complicated topics or ones that at least have been bastardized as healthcare has been. What has the government taken over that's gotten better? You can ask somebody that. What has the government taken over that's gotten better? Or what in particular has the government had more influence on over the course of time that's gotten better in your life? Just float that question to somebody. See where it takes you. I think there'll be uh, some crickets chirping on the other end there. By the way, talking about CRTV, uh, you also can check out Life, Liberty, and Levin Fox News uh, 10 Eastern. If you don't already do this, you can do what I do. I have to get up for a morning show super early, so my bedtime is 7.30. But I always hit Life, Liberty, and Levin uh, on the DVR. So go ahead and set your DVR, Fox News Channel, 10 Eastern. And by the way, while you're out doing things right now, how about uh, checking out Our Police by Jack Levin? It's Mark Stad. Now, it's coming out here on the 30th, and it is a really important message, beautifully written. It has... Outstanding illustrations, perfect for your kids or your grandkids. Such an important message anymore about our police. And we are so fortunate every day that we get up, we do what we do, we go to work, and we don't have to worry for the most part about our safety. And why is it? Because the people that put on the badge 
that leave their homes, leave their families, and go out there and keep us safe. And for them and for their families, so much is sacrificed, especially in today's environment. So really, really important message, Our Police by Jack Levin. Go ahead and pre-order it right now at Amazon. You could even tell Alexa to go ahead and do that. I mean, I'm very close to just doing it for you, but I won't, provided that you go ahead and order Our Police by Jack Levin. All right, coming up, uh, we are going to wind things up with El Presidente and uh, the Kanye effect. I've got a story for you, too. One of my favorite moments from back in the day. Speaking of Kanye, next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. It was winds about as big as we've ever seen in history. We've never had anything like this. Yeah, he's actually pretty close. Pretty close. All right, so you might hear quite a bit about where Michael ranked historically. Now, a couple things. When you hear it's a top five storm, not quite in terms of recorded hurricanes in U.S. history, but by name storms, that is the case. Here's the deal. We've had uh, an Atlantic hurricane season that we've tracked since 1851, but they didn't start naming hurricanes until 1953. All right, so... You actually had the strongest hurricane that's ever been recorded in U.S. history. That was unnamed. It was the Labor Day hurricane of 1935. Clocked in with top sustained winds at landfall, 185 miles per hour. The second one was Hurricane Care, 1962. Top winds, 175. Then you have a two-way tie for the third Strongest hurricane at the time of landfall. Hurricane Camille, 1969, a buck 65. And yeah, Hurricane Andrew in 92 at 165 as well. The fifth strongest hurricane at the time of landfall recorded U.S. history, what's called the Okeechobee Hurricane of 1928. That's another one. Deals with Lake Okeechobee here in south-central Florida, if you will. 160 miles an hour, top sustained wind. So where does Michael rank? With winds at 155 miles per hour at the time of landfall, the sixth strongest hurricane in recorded U.S. history. That big of a deal. Certainly, prayers go out to the folks impacted. Direct line there. One of the other things to watch for, too, when we heard the death toll earlier today, 11, 12, had a lot of concerns that number's going to rise. One thing in particular, like in, in Florida, we do often a really good job a minimizing death at the time of impact of a hurricane. But often we'll see a bunch of people that will go out there and, and make mistakes after a hurricane. They'll end up dying. That's been Florida's track record historically. Really easy, by the way, when you're hot, you're tired, you don't have power to go do something silly. That sometimes can just in, include stepping in water or a puddle or something with a down power line. That kind of thing happens. And the case... Of what we're taking a look at, though, with uh, with Hurricane Michael. What we don't know is how many people were actually in those homes. Mexico. Mexico Beach. And uh, let's pray that folks did get out. And that we aren't going to have a, a death toll that rises considerably. 
tomorrow and over the weekend. This one was bad. It's bad news for sure. All right. And to end on a lighter note, I, uh, I couldn't help but, uh, but think of actually the first time I remember hearing the name Kanye West. And is uh, when I was doing radio in Savannah. During the Iraq War, the folks you saw in uh, Baghdad that were toppling the statues of Saddam Hussein, heroes among heroes. Those are the 3rd Inf- the third Infantry Division, 3rd ID, out of Fort Stewart, just outside of Savannah. Just amazing people. And outside of the tourists that come to Savannah, it's a major military town. Everybody is either friends or family with somebody serving. And back then, somebody who was overseas. So when we had the Iraq War going on, it was important with all the major updates to get the information out to all of our radio stations. We happen to have a, a urban station, a rap station. There's a young rapper there in the afternoon. And uh, he was playing. And, and Kanye is from Atlanta. And so he's kind of a big deal in Georgia. He was just starting to become a big deal, I think, nationally about that time. So anyway, I'm supposed to be going in there to do this major update on the 3rd Infantry Division and the Iraq War. And I go in there. And this young rapper is doing his thing, and he's all worked up. And then he is coming over to me out of a Kanye West song, and he couldn't remember my name. And he went, it's, it's, it's Whitey with the news. And I became Whitey with the news. And <laughs> I managed to hold it together long enough to give the, the update. But after that, we kind of turned it into a thing. And for oh, for a remaining couple of years that I was in Savannah, he would end up helping me with culture. And so I would do things like, uh, you know, learn how to to speak the language. I'd just be uh, chilling and stuff, yo. You know, th- those were the types of things that I was doing. And, and, and Kanye West was at the forefront of my urbanized education. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, it has been uh, a couple of weeks for sure. From the Kavanaugh situation through Kanye and the Oval Office. But you know the only thing that's changed? In the grand scheme of things, not even so much the stock market. What's really changed is that we're a little more than three weeks away from Election Day. And Republicans got a chance not only to gain in the Senate, but to hold the House. You got to get out there and you got to vote. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Always is. Have a wonderful weekend. Levin, back next week. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Levin.